Now. Three, two, one, go! What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Cool Down Time Podcast. This is episode 50. I'm your graphically impressive host of the show. by Marco. Joined. Well, really joined by anybody right now. <laughs> If you've been paying attention to our official uh, Twitter and Instagram accounts, you know that uh, my longtime friend and co-host of the show, Pablo, has um, welcomed new life into the world. Uh, he and his lovely wife have uh, welcomed their, their their son into the world 12 days early. Early access, indeed. And uh, as you'd expect, Pablo's taken some time off to get acclimated and lose lots of sleep and uh, change a lot of diapers, get peed on, and all that good stuff that comes with parenthood. I'm just going to talk about some games. <laughs> I've already, I've already passed all that hard stuff. I'm onto the, you know, the the, the three major phase with my daughter. So, um, but congrats to him and his wife. I'm I'm really excited for him. Uh, the baby's doing great so far, from what I've heard. But um, you know, the show must go on. So um, before you skip this episode, don't worry. Pablo is still going to be here, not just in spirit, but also um, he is going to be checking in later on in the show for our checkpoint chat. So you will get to hear. Here, Pablo's soft, velvety, chaotic voice in all its glory. Uh, so don't you worry. Um, but in the meantime, thanks for checking out this episode. And also, um, thank you for your patience. You know, uh, uh, because his baby came a little early, we were uh, supposed to record an episode um, last week, but things changed pretty drastically, obviously, and we didn't get a chance to do one. So I'm um, sorry for missing a week, but uh, we appreciate your patience and obviously all the kind words and uh, the likes that we got from some of you uh, in support of my boy here uh, having his baby. So, um, we're going to keep going, man. We're going to keep rocking, and uh, this episode's going to be a fun one. I'm going to be covering loadouts and hit points uh, by my lonesome, but don't worry. You know me. I'm going to make it entertaining. You ain't got to worry about that. I'm a little, you know, I'm a little extra, and I'm a little something wrong with me in the head, but it's cool. Uh, so I'll make it fun. And then uh, later on in the show, uh, Pablo's going to jump back in and um, get started with our checkpoint chat, which is a pretty fun one. Uh, it's a sequel to a checkpoint chat we've done in the past uh, called Games That Define Us. And uh, that one's going to be pretty cool. It's uh, we're picking five additional games that um, you know helped shape and mold who we are as gamers, and uh, what what kind of helped shape our taste in games, our favorite games, the, the games that kind of suck, the games we're a little embarrassed to say we like. So you, you definitely gonna some of y'all are gonna check me for some of my picks. I know I know it's gonna happen, but it's all right. So uh, stick with us, and, and I think you'll enjoy this episode for sure. Uh, if you do like what you hear, give our podcast a sub. Uh, we drop new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the other popular streaming apps you love. We're, we're there when you need us, so you got no reason to not subscribe, unless you hate children. All right, if you hate kids, if you, if you hate Pablo's kid, then don't subscribe to the show. We don't want you anyway. But if you, like, if you, if you love Pablo, if you support healthy, happy families, you need to subscribe to our show, or else I'm just going to guilt trip you. It's that simple. I'm petty like that. I, I was forged in the fires of Mount Petty to say that to you today. All right. <laughs> I told you something's wrong with me. Uh, you could also uh, follow us on Instagram at Cooldown Time Podcast or Twitter at Cooldown Time Pod to stay connected with your boys in between episodes. Um, but let's go ahead and get this started off with uh, loadouts. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right, so um, for me, 
I have been um, I've been playing two games. Um, number one is I have uh, I've actually finished Elden Ring, guys. Uh, first time I ever finished any kind of Souls-like game ever. Um, historically, never been a big fan of those types of games. Never really liked the challenge. Never wanted that kind of challenge. Um, but you know, as we talked about in episodes past, uh, me and Pablo, that is. Um, Elden Ring just hit different for me. Um, I know that the topic of Elden Ring is a bit exhausted right now, so I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it, but I will say that I've really, really enjoyed um, the experience that I was given. Uh, 93 hours I put into this one. Um, Incredible time, unforgettable moments, amazing achievements, and, and, you know, just memorable battles, everything that... I really didn't think would ever resonate with me as a non-Souls, you know, Elden Ring lover or admirer of any kind. I got pleasantly surprised, man. And this turned out to be um, the kind of game that made me have to look at my all-time greatest games list um, on my Google Docs or or Google Spreadsheet and go, hmm, (laughs) is this a top 10 game for me? Um, now, I will say me and Pablo are going to have a uh, review episode. Uh, we were actually, you know, hoping to, you know, knock a few of those out um, before he went out, um, you know, on, on, on a paternity leave with his uh, his son. Uh, we didn't get a chance to, but we will do a deeper dive into uh, reviewing Elden Ring. But I will say, um, what an experience, man. Um, it has some flaws, um, particularly when it comes to... I would say performance, um, certainly multiplayer. I think that is uh, almost objectively not good. Um, I would say some of the late game balancing is a little out of whack at times. Um, It's one of those games where you realize, oh, I kind of have to farm in order to beat this game. And I, I never like when it feels unofficially mandatory that you have to farm in the game to um, basically in farming for those of you who aren't you know aware it's just you know going to a certain place in a game to repeat a certain thing over and over again whether it's a battle or some other kind of thing that will grant you XP over and over and over again uh, or in this case runes to keep leveling up your character and essentially come into boss fights um, at or above your recommended level and what I found was that towards the end of this game I was kind of breezing through Every mainline boss, not breezing through, but I wasn't having a lot of trouble, trouble. Um, and most of the, you know, the side bosses and stuff like that were not much problem for me up until the last two or three. And all of a sudden, I just felt like I was not doing anything. Any, like I was just getting little slivers of damage. And I'm like, okay, is level, is level 131 not enough, my boy? Like, what, what is this? Um, so I, I basically refused to farm. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'd never do that in a game unless it's like a destiny kind of like loot cave thing where it's more fun than anything. Um, and I just decided to go ahead and get some co-op help and, and grind it out and hope that <laughs> some random could uh, kind of carry me through the last few boss fights. And thankfully, I was able to find some people that could help. Um, but, you know, I, I think what I was ready to do was kind of, you know, roll credits on that game and um, maybe start a new build and, and, and run through the game again because I, I, I love that game so much that I just kind of can't imagine not playing it or, or not having it in my rotation right now. 
Um, so I've actually started another uh, another game uh, with a different type of build, and I'm working through that currently and uh, having just as much fun, man. So like I said, I don't want to dwell on Elden Ring too much because, again, it's been talked about to death, but uh, boy, is that game great. Um, certainly, um, it, it's, it's knocking on the door of my top 10 uh, games of all time, so that, that'll tell you something. Um, second game I'm playing, and, and, and I... <laughs> I, I, I wish Pablo was here to talk with me about this because I know he's been waiting for me to finish this. But um, I decided to go back to Halo Infinite's campaign. And I actually finished the campaign. Um, I had stopped playing the campaign because there is an issue with all of the cinematics in the game, um, which is causing basically a really bad stuttering effect. That happens on screen. And if you're someone who is uh, what they call frame sensitive, like I am, um, that type of problem can be disorienting. It can cause eye strain. Some people even get nauseous. It's, it's, it's really not this little minor thing for some people. And so I decided to wait back in December to finish the game until it was patched. Or wait until the game was patched to finish the game is what I meant to say. And the day never came. It's uh, almost the end of April now. So, like, <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not happening. What are you doing? What's going on? 343. Well, your boy figured out how to solve the problem of cutscene stutter. All by myself. <laughs> I think I'm the only person that figured out what was going on. I actually submitted a, a, a ticket to uh, Halo Support to tell them how to fix the problem. And hopefully, you know, it'll actually get addressed and maybe patched and, and you guys can all thank me for finding what happened. But um, nevertheless, uh, it would take too much time to explain how I figured it out. That's not what you guys care about. Um, the campaign itself. Man, I said it a few episodes ago when we were talking about Halo, um, the TV series. And I'm going to say it again. It is an extremely weird time to be a Halo fan. It really, really is. On one hand, it it's great. On the other hand, it's thoroughly disappointing. And that just seems to be the case with all things Halo right now. Halo Infinite's gameplay... The gunplay, the, the, the core combat, the gameplay loop, if you shall. I, I hate that term, but we'll say it here, for lack of a better term. It's A1. It's the best Halo has ever felt, controlled, moved. It, it's the best Halo has ever felt. Boy, is it great to play that game. The act of moving around, shooting people, playing that game is just top of the class. I actually liked the story. thought the story was pretty good. I thought it was better than pretty good. A lot of people said, oh, you know, I didn't, I was lukewarm on the story. It wasn't enough story. It was, I thought it was fine. I thought the story was fine. I thought they wrapped up a lot of stuff very well with the Cortana story arc. I think without getting into spoiler territory, I think it was time for them to wrap up the whole Cortana melodrama. I think they did a good job. 
I really liked those characters. I liked I liked a lot of what Chief was and the weapon and, and Echo 216. I thought that's a great trio moving forward for the series. Wasn't so much in love with Esherim, the, the main villain of the game. He was very, you know, I'm going to have a speech every 12 seconds on a projector screen, kind of boring to me. And he's very slow when it's with his speech and very, oh, I'm going to find like, Oh, man. That was a little much for me. But I thought the story was fine. My biggest problem with that game is the campaign design itself. I'm going to be in the minority when I say this, and I know it, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I think the open world design for Halo isn't the best. I know that's not popular. I know people love the transition into open world. And even in the beginning, I did too. I was open world McGee when it came, but Hey, I love being out here. Give me the grapple hook. Give me the, you know, the vehicles and we can drive here and do that and drive there and do that. I thought that was so dope for the first few hours. And then it started to turn into the typical open world gobbledygook icons on a map go clear this out go go assassinate this target go collect that collectible go um go to this manufacturing plant and destroy all the things and it just started to become very routine and it does that thing that open world games do where narratively there's a sense of urgency there's things that are on the line and Lives are at stake, and here you are, doo-doo-dooing, collecting Mjolnir armor, <laughs> you know? And so I think in a lot of ways, 343 sort of failed to justify the purpose, narratively, of being in that open world, and, and really making it make sense from a storytelling standpoint. It's great from a gameplay standpoint to be able to go here, go there, at your leisure, but that sense of urgency that the narrative is trying to, you know, pummel down your, your, your throat is, is a bit lost in the doldrums of just kind of wandering around and taking out these little clusters of enemies here and there and, you know, collecting this and collecting that and, oh, there's a target over there. And it's just very la-di-da, if that makes any sense. Later on in the game things start to get linear again. And and again, I'm in the minority here, but I actually liked when it got linear. I felt like that was when the game felt the most focused to me. It felt like everything was more intentional. However, boy, did that level design suck. Everything was the same metallic walls and you know, automatic opening doors, and it was just sort of very mundane-looking stuff. A lot of the awe and wonder that we've seen in previous Halos in terms of level design, and 343's always been pretty bad at this, to be honest. This is probably the worst of the worst. It was a lot of metallic facilities, (laughs) you know, and it just wasn't very inspiring to navigate. The campaign structure, when it got linear, was bad. A lot of cut corners. 
go here and do this thing four times in four different places across the map so that you can pr progress the story and do the big thing. And then once you do the big thing, then you got to do three more little things to do the big thing that comes up after that. You know, and it's very, very formulaic like that. <clears throat> Wasn't a fan. Some of the later missions were glorified firefight modes or horde modes. And it all just felt very, very, um, like that's where the game kind of struggled in development. Like they really had to sort of cut a lot of content and just make things more compact and confined, but keep it feeling like it was interesting. It reminded me a lot of Halo 2's development, where you can tell, okay, you guys kind of got me in this spot a little too long here doing the same thing. Is that because you guys don't have anything else? Did you not build out enough of this area? Why am I still here in this position? And a lot of that holds true in the campaign. So I, by the time it was over, and adding on some really disappointing boss fights, which I thought were pretty weak overall, I just kind of found myself going, eh, to the campaign. Again, I like the story. And generally speaking, I think the open world from a gameplay standpoint was, was getting a bit drab too soon. But things just sort of fell apart for me. And I, I, I walked away from that going, wow, I, I really kind of only like the story about this game. <laughs> Everything else was just all right. And, and once again, we're in this position with another Halo where you just kind of walk away going, that was all right. Oh, the single player's all right. Multiplayer uh, is all right. And I'm just tired of Halo being in that all right kind of status. And we'll get into that more in, in hit points in a second. But very lukewarm on the campaign. Um, very lukewarm on Halo Infinite as a whole in terms of its entire product. Single player and multiplayer. Just a weird state of, 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 of Halo right now. The TV show sucks. This campaign is, is hovering around mediocrity. And it's like, man, this is, this is Microsoft's tentpole franchise. I promise I'm going to get off my soapbox, but while everybody's sitting here championing Game Pass, Game Pass, how awesome is Game Pass? How awesome is Game Pass? So awesome, so awesome. And it is, guys, but when this is what you're doing to your most important franchise you have, and it's struggling to emerge out of mediocrity, that's a problem. So I get it. Everyone's high on Microsoft right now. Everyone's very, very high on Xbox, as well they should be. But Halo, man, we'll get into what they're working on the multiplayer side uh, in just a bit. But this campaign was kind of just, uh, eh, and I expected better. With that being said, guys, let's go ahead and move on into the next segment of the show, which is our news segment called Hit Points. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. Let me get a sip of my sparkling water here. I'm doing a lot of talking, my guys. <laughs> I'm going to be raspy as hell. I'm going to sound like Ja Rule by the time I'm done recording this. If you guys don't know who that is, it's a rapper. He does the hip hops. Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> we have five news items in our hit points this week. Starting with uh, news item number one. On the four-year anniversary of God of War 2018, Corey Barlog shared a brief update regarding the state of of its highly anticipated sequel, God of War Ragnarok. Balrog stated that God of War Ragnarok's production is going well, 
but more gameplay footage isn't ready to be shown off just yet. He stated, quote, We are perfectionists. Everyone is tightening up the graphics on level 3, end quote, before promising that the game would resurface as soon as humanly possible, which of course has led many to speculate that Ragnarok is in fact destined for a 2023 delay. So, the big question here, folks, is, is how is all this looking, right? Where is God of War Ragnarok? Where is it? What is it? Why is it? When is it? What's all the is-its of this game? <laughs> and um, here's what I have to say. I want to play this game when it is done. I think I speak for very many gamers out there when I say that a little tired of playing new games that come out unfinished, unpatched, with noticeable glaring issues, bugs, and balancing issues, and the whole nine. So as far as I'm concerned, don't show me anything. I think this is the right move, guys. I know we're all, hey, look, we're all excited about Ragnarok. We all want to play Ragnarok as soon as possible. I'm one of them. And I didn't even love, love God of War 2018 like that. I really liked it, but I didn't love, love it. But even I'm like, yo, I want this game. But I want it when it's done. And I don't want to see unfinished builds or vertical slices that aren't part of the final product. I don't want all that. I want it, I want it when it's ready. And I think that if any studio has earned the right to say, trust us, we got you, I think it's Santa Monica. I think Corey Balrog has, has been more than trustworthy when it comes to delivering great experiences. This guy has an, an incredible track record. So whether this game comes out in early 2023, even late 2023, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, it would suck to not have that come out towards the end of this year. That would be unfortunate for Sony. But what would be more unfortunate for Sony is forcing it to come out early, knowing full well this thing ain't ready. And then you got another, sorry, it's out, but pardon our dust. We promise we're going to make it right. And another apology tour from another big budget game that didn't come out well. And I don't think Sony wants to go through that kind of path. And they've been, for the most part, pretty good about steering clear from those types of issues. You know, Horizon Forbidden West has had some graphical bugs and some issues here and there, but it was never anything truly devastating to the experience. And I think Sony is really, really big on making sure that there is some some sort of polish that you can expect from a, from a PlayStation product. Maybe, maybe not perfection, you know, but, but at least a certain reaching a certain tier of quality. You might not love the game, but hey, it works. <laughs> you know what I mean? So hey, I'm, I'm, I'm all for this. It's all good with me. We'll see it when it's time. News item number two. After rumors and speculation surfaced that Kojima Productions could be the next Sony acquisition, Hideo Kojima took to Twitter to refute those claims, citing that his studio will in fact remain fully independent. Now, Sony acquisition rumors have since shifted from Kojima Productions to From Software, the makers of Elden Ring and, of course, the Dark Souls trilogy. So the question I, 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 I'm asking myself here, 
is how does this look for all the parties involved in this? Kojima Productions, Sony, and, and, and From Software. Now, I'll start with getting From Software out of the way first. The cost of the brick's gone up. <laughs> you know, uh, shout out to the Iron Lords podcast for saying that. It's, it's true. They have officially made the kind of game with the kind of success and critical acclaim that has made their asking price understandably high. We don't know how high. We don't even know if they want to be bought. But if they were in the market to be acquired, they're not coming cheap. Because you can't find a studio that can make an Elden Ring like From Software can. So they know their worth. They know their value. And hey, play ball. So more power to them. If they want to be bought, hey, get bought by the right group and ask for, ask for the money you deserve. Because Elden Ring is... is Elden Ring is that game, and Miyazaki is him, okay? When it comes to PlayStation and their, their aspect of all this, I'm, I'm kind of neutral. Um, you know, we, we've heard rumors that there is a, a, a relatively big acquisition that is in the works right now with Sony, and I expect we're going to hear this sooner than later. Uh, and maybe it is uh, from software, for, for, for all we know. Or maybe it could be uh, Square, maybe it can be konami maybe it could be you know i've even heard take two uh as as a possibility which would be insane and not cheap (laughs) but um i think when it comes to them i'm i'm just gonna wait and see i don't really have a lot to say about the sony side of things i just want them to make the right choice and um it'll be interesting to see whether they're going to uphold the, uh, the same sort of uh keeping it multi-platform type of strategy that they did with uh, with Destiny, or not Destiny, uh, Bungie, with Destiny. Um, that'll be interesting to watch. Now, <clears throat> I got some things to say about Kojima Productions, you guys. It's going to get a little, it's going to get a little spicy. It's got to get a little spicy. I'm not really, uh, I'm not really all that high on Kojima right now. I don't really like what's going on there. It's rubbing me the wrong way. If I'm Kojima Productions, if I'm Hideo Kojima, I would be pounding on the door of Sony to say, please buy us. I'm begging Sony. If I'm Kojima, I'm taking off my cool looking shades and putting down my cool Twitter account and I'm, 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 I'm coming in there humble with a humble voice. Uh, will you buy me? <laughs> now let me tell you why. Kojima Productions is for the streets. This, it's one thing to call yourself independent. It's another thing to be for the streets. It wasn't all that long ago that we heard that Kojima Productions was whoring themselves out to the highest bidder. We're hearing that Kojima Productions is trying to pitch a game to Google Stadia. Google the Stadia. (laughs) Does that sound like a studio 
that is happily independent or does that sound like a studio that is desperate? You tell me. Next thing you know, you hear Kojima is talking to Phil Spencer about trying to pitch that same game over at Xbox. And apparently, Phil's listening. Kojima's a hoe. He's a, <laughs> he's a full-blown, nasty hoe. He's walking around with stilettos on the side. He's, he's walking the track. He is a hoe right now. That kind of model of, of pitching your games and you first and foremost, if the Stadia rumors are true and you couldn't get them to take your game, there's something wrong here. I'm sorry. Google Stadia is a hop, skip and a sneeze away from being on life support, if not already. And you couldn't work out an agreement with them. I thought you were him, Mr. Kojima. What happened? Phil Spencer, Xbox. Apparently there's a deal in the making or it's already been a verbal agreement. Well, show us something then. What is your game? How are you able to stay financially stable when all you've made is Death Stranding, which came out, I think, in 2019 and a director's cut? Where is all your money coming from? How are you going to stay in business to make AAA games at the quality we've come to expect from you when you've got one name, or, or sorry, one game under your belt? You can't afford, if you're Kojima, to keep playing around and trying to whore yourself out. You need to find a home. Because fam, and I've said it on the podcast before, I'll say it again. I believe, me, this man hasn't made a great game since Metal Gear Solid 3. I think 4 was a narrative nightmare. Metal Gear Solid 5 was an unfinished disaster. And Death Stranding, I know people like it. I don't, I'm not one of them. I hate to be so cliche and call it a walking sim, a FedEx simulator, but man, if it didn't have all the symptoms... And even if you want to refute that opinion, you got to at least admit that the reaction's been pretty mixed. So you don't exactly have the same aura if you're Kojima that you used to have. So the fact that you want to sit here and plant your flag down and say you are independent, I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D... All that stuff is cute, but bro, you ran to Google Stadia though? All right, all right, all right. Let me let me let me get off that because I I, I want to make sure I'm getting this through clear. Kojima Productions has a lot to prove. And if you're Sony. I think it makes total sense to not want to buy his studio. Sony was the one that funded the new Kojima Productions after his fallout from Konami, which is starting to look like Konami had a case to make against this dude. But I'll leave that alone. 
Sony funds his new studio in his new game, which is Death Stranding, and they decided to take ownership of the IP as part of the agreement, which is smart. And they let Sony, uh, they let Kojima go out there and make whatever he wants to make. Hey, man, we trust you. You're Kojima. You're the you're, you're the one of the greatest of all time. Here's some money. Go make us a classic. And he comes walking back with a walking sim. A walking sim that did not sell as well as they anticipated, certainly did not get the kind of critical reviews that they were hoping for, and generally left a weird taste in a lot of people's mouths. If you're Sony, you might want to snatch up Kojima Productions just to keep him away from, from Microsoft, but you're certainly not going to be buying his studio because you're just infatuated with his work. He took your money and made Death Stranding. For crying out loud, not a Metal Gear, not a Silent Hills type of thing, not a PT type of experience. Death, whole entire stranding. Ropes and ladders, guys. That's the new thing. He had the nerve to call that a new genre. <laughs> I know Pablo is screaming at his phone right now. But the thing... But the, the, I, I know, I know, people like that game. But my God, is that a Kojima-level experience? Or is it another weird, wacky, what's going on with this dude type of experience? So if you ask me, I think Sony's in the right for saying, ah, we're cool, we'll go find somebody else. I'd ra- I'll put it to you this way, I'd rather Sony spend their money on a From Software than a Kojima Productions. And I'll leave it at that. News item number three. Longtime Halo series collaborator Certain Affinity has announced they will have a deepening role in the future development of Halo Infinite and will be, quote, evolving Halo Infinite in some new and exciting ways, end quote. Certain Affinity's hiring appears to corroborate 343's comments about needing to expand in order to meet the demand for more faster updates and more new content. There's also been rumors that their first undertaking for Halo Infinite will be a battle royale mode. Now, considering that it's gotten so bad for the, for the game that the Master Chief Collection has actually <laughs> taken over in rankings of, from, from Halo Infinite on Steam, can this move truly help revive Halo Infinite, or will 343's window close before they right the ship? It's an interesting question. Now, most people are going to say, hey, look, man, it's Halo Infinite's first year. Let's not get too gloomy and doomy just yet. Let's give them time. Let's wait and see what certain affinity does. Let's not throw out the red flag just yet. I agree in theory but I think the situation is a little different because this is Halo we're talking about. If you're asking me whether I think that Halo Infinite can rebound from what's been a very turbulent time on the multiplayer side, I think it is possible. I think they can usher back in a decent audience that will stick around and play Halo Infinite multiplayer semi-routinely. 
but that is going to be very hard to do. We're in a new landscape, guys, where the Fortnites of the world, the Warzones of the world, the Apex Legends of the world, the Destinies of the world have proven and in some ways learned the hard way themselves that your first impression is the most important impression. You've got to get it right. And you've got to get it right soon. You can't afford to just kind of dangle in the wind five months after your game comes out with nothing more than a bunch of apologies and we hear you's and we're listening to feedback and all these, these trite, cliche comments and think that you're going to keep an audience around. And the other thing about it is that the industry moves fast. Guys, a lot of gamers are not going to stick around and wait for you to figure it out when they can go reinstall another game like Fortnite or Warzone and go play that instead. No one is, is, is forced to wait on Halo Infinite to figure themselves out. So is it possible this can help re, you know, revitalize Halo Infinite's multiplayer? Sure it is, but it's going to be very hard to do. There's a lot of great games out there, guys. And that's the thing that Microsoft has to start understanding, and 343 especially. It's baffling to me that, that 343 and Microsoft willingly let this multiplayer come out this half-baked and to have the audacity to release it early last year. As if they had all their ducks in a row. In hindsight now, that they look crazy for doing that to me. They look nuts for doing that last year. No plan, no strategy, no progression system, no meaningful battle pass type of progression. It was a pain to work through that game. And a lot of people were left with a negative stigma of Halo Infinite. And some people are like, you know what, I'm cool. <laughs> oh, glad to know that they're, you know, they're, they're working on riding the ship. That's great. But I'm cool. I'm over here now. I'm playing this thing now. <laughs> because the industry isn't going to wait for you to get it together. It's become all the more important to, to, to start off strong especially when you're taking a series that's never been a, a live service before and transitioning it into one, and you have a terrible plan to do so. It's getting embarrassing now. This game is on Game Pass, guys, and barely anybody's playing this thing. But it's on Game Pass. It's, un it's, it's unbelievable. I'm glad that certain affinity is going to have a deeper role, but even then, man, they're, they're looking for, they're, they're, they're hiring. <laughs> they have a deepening role, but they don't have the manpower to even do anything right now. They're still recruiting. So if you happen to be a hardcore fan of Halo, you're waiting a while before any of this leads to fruitful results for the actual game. 
Rumor is this Royale's been in development for one or two years, which is, that's, that's like, okay, <laughs> fine. Glad to hear that. I mean, that's okay. It must be, you know, an interesting twist on Royale, I guess, if it's taken that long to figure it out. But even now, it feels that move, even though it's been in the cards for years, it feels like a move of desperation on the surface, optics-wise, for the casual fan that doesn't know that's been in development for so long. Casual fans are going to say, oh, look at Halo out here trying to trying to get the fans back with a Royale mode, trying to cash in. It's going to look bad. Even though it was always part of the roadmap. Kind of like co-op was. <laughs> kind of like Forge. It's a bad time to be a Halo fan, man. I, I, I think this has to be 343's last Halo. Either as far as their current management and leadership is concerned or just all together. I think it's really time to reevaluate this situation because every time they put out a Halo, they put out a problem. Halo 4 was was a multiplayer mess with a good story, but a, a drab single player. It's a lot like Halo Infinite's campaign. Just mundane. But it had the story that pulled you through. But the multiplayer was terrible. Halo 5, unmitigated disaster on almost every level. Multiplayer was okay, but just... <laughs> The Master Chief Collection, broken for years, still broken. Still has problems to this day. It's unacceptable. And for some reason, Microsoft has been totally fine with letting Halo jump the shark like this. Something's got to give and hopefully it will soon. Moving on to the last two hit points items, some quicker hits. The release date for Xenoblade Chronicles 3 has been bumped up to July 29th. The Switch-exclusive JRPG was formally set for a September launch, but appears to be ready earlier than expected. Could this be one of the better games of 2022? And does Xenoblade Chronicles deserve more love? Um, I'd say yes on both fronts, actually. Um... <clears throat> Xenoblade to me, I think just never really, it never really got enough clout for being as good as it is because it's on Switch. Um, it doesn't have that hardcore gaming audience really looking at it because people play Switch games for like the Mario Karts and the Zeldas and stuff like that. It, it's, but it is an, it, it is one of the best franchises you can find on a Nintendo platform for sure. It just doesn't, it gets overshadowed so much by other things. Um, I'm really excited about this one. I, I've, I've played the first two games. Um, I think they're fantastic experiences. Um, actually, I played all three. Um, Chronicles Cross and then, uh, you know, the other two. And I think this is, if you're, if you're a, a traditional JRPG fan, I think this one is a must play. It looks great. Um, I've always loved the scale and the scope of the, of the game. The battle systems are usually fun, if not a little bit too clunky at times, but hopefully they've refined some things. I'm really excited about this and I think it's a nice move to bump it up. I think it's a good spot. Um, I'll definitely be picking it up. 
uh, unless something goes sideways or, you know, I decide to hold off for whatever reason, but I'm, I'm here for it. I'm also here for the next game that got announced. The Shadowrun Trilogy has been announced and will be arriving on PlayStation, Xbox Game Pass, and Nintendo Switch on June 21st. The Shadowrun Trilogy comprises three cult tactical RPG games taking place in a dystopian cyberpunk future in which magic has been reawakened, bringing back to life creatures of high fantasy. I'm excited. When I saw this, I actually thought about the uh, the reboot that came out on the, uh, I think it was 360, uh, the Shadowrun multiplayer game. Um, terribly underrated game, actually. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. But it was in no way, shape, or form the, uh, you know, the uh, <laughs> tactical RPG that the series used to be. So a lot of fans were kind of like dumbfounded about that. <clears throat> Um, I've always wanted to get around to this one. I, I'm not a big tactical RPG fan, but I am a cyberpunk, just aesthetic fiend, and especially after seeing how this game looks um, with this trilogy, I'm I'm all in. Um, I'm really excited about it. I know, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is crap. I told you it's going to happen. I told you I'm going to get raspy out here. Um, I know it's a tabletop RPG uh, as far as its origins go, if I'm not mistaken. Um so that's kind of cool too. Uh, I was never big in tabletop RPGs, but I think I'm definitely going to be taking a look at this one, especially since it's on Game Pass. It's not going to cost me a thing. Um, but I've heard that if you know if if you've never played it before, you're in for a hell of a time, and that's got me pretty excited too. So between hearing about Xenoblade Chronicles three uh, news and and then the Shadowrun trilogy coming out in June, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting uh, middle of the year where I'm going to get to actually play some games I'm I'm, I'm low key excited about. So. Um, you know, it might not be as drab of a dull, like, or a lull period, rather, as, uh, as I was hoping it would be. But um, nevertheless, that is going to do it for uh, the hit points segment of the show. So um, from here, we're going to go ahead and move on to the checkpoint chat. Pablo's going to tag back in in just a moment. So uh, without further ado, let's get started. It's time for the checkpoint chat. All right, and so for the checkpoint chat, as promised, we are going to be doing the top 10 games of 2012 in 2022. So we're going to be doing a little revisionist history. And to do that, I brought a friend, also the co-host of the show, Pablo's back. What's up? What's going on? How's the show going, man? Because, you know, you've already recorded it, so you know exactly what's happened. <laughs> Tell me, it's man. A, it's a little lonely. You know what I mean? It's a little lonely. Uh, I feel like yeah. I'm talking to myself. but uh, I can't believe that they ghost-dropped Witcher 5. <laughs> they skipped 4, and they're right to 5. Yeah, let's just talk about that right now. How do you feel about the game? <laughs> it's <laughs> terrible. All right. So as uh, obviously we have uh, we, we have we prepared this one uh, at a time that is convenient for Pablo, uh, you know, since he is, uh, you know, enjoying parenthood uh, in real time, real life. Uh, but we are going to, um, you know, just in the spirit of what we've done uh, since the start of the show, we, we, we look back at some of the games from, um, you know, 10 years ago. And we just kind of see how these games uh, should be ranked from 10 to 1 now. Now that the dust has settled on uh, some of those games from 2012, we've gotten the chance to see how they kind of fit into, uh, you know, the annals of gaming and, and how we feel about them years later, um, you know, just with some hindsight. Yeah, um, get and all so of those annals. We're going to get all up in there. Butt stuff. Um, top 10 butt stuffs of 2012 Ooh. and 2022. Your stories. You got any <laughs> stories? No. No, not right now. All right. Well, 
Um, it all started when I no. I don't, I don't, I don't um, there was, it was a smell. It was the thumb. Uh, no. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, me and Pablo are gonna go round robin uh, up in this hoe. Um, Damn. <laughs> that sounds even worse. <laughs> this is getting terrible. Where are we going? Uh, we're gonna go round robin from ten all the way up to one, and just kind of give you all what we think are the the new and improved top ten games of uh, 2012, according to your boys. Uh, so let's not waste any time, Pablo. Let's go ahead and jump right in uh, with your number ten. What do you got? Well, my number ten is a is a game series that I always play, and it's all it's been the same since uh, 2012. That's Sniper Elite V2. Uh, hasn't changed one goddamn bit, but if you're gonna give me the opportunity to shoot Hitler's dick off, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and pre-order this motherfucker. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's it, you know it's, it's a small it's, target, it's, it, <laughs> <laughs> very small motherfucker. But no, listen, if you've ever played Sniper Elite, it's super you know kind of like a it's the the basis of the game is super simple. You go in there, oh, it's pretty open area, and you shoot motherfuckers with a sniper rifle, and mm-hmm. that's a really cool slow down time where it goes and you see the bullet go into somebody's skull and all that good stuff. Uh, there's not much to say about this game other than it's a blast to play. It's always fun to play. Um, you know, four was the most recent one, just as fun as two, and then five is coming out this year, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, yeah, these games are are kind of my guilty pleasure because I understand they they don't usually uh, move well in terms of like the gameplay because the real focus is on sniping so there's a lot of stuff about the game that doesn't it isn't uh good in, in quotations but i i love it it's kind of it's 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 my go-to kind of uh you know turn off my brain uh kind of thing so sniper elite 2 is my number 10 yeah man it's always been an interesting series because it's always been like that 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 low budget kind of b tier yeah. game but for some reason those just they just kind of feel good to play for for they, yeah. they found some kind of weird magic to that game that for for whatever reason all these all these entries later still it still, still works there. yeah so yeah. I, I I totally understand where you're coming from um, here's what I got for my number ten I got me some sleeping dogs mm. um, this is a big one for me uh, because I got into this one actually kind of late I didn't get into it when it first came out in 2012 um, so. Oh, no. This is kind of the epitome of a revisionist history for me because uh, I got a chance to get caught up on it not too long ago. And, um, you know, obviously it's a product of its time. Uh, If you go back and play it now, there's a lot of like really, you know, GTA inspired conventions and and, and a little bit of an infatuation with the John Woo kind of element that isn't so much a present part of gaming nowadays. But for what it was, it was a really cool gang story. I loved the, uh, you know, the the, the, yeah. the cop, you know, gang member duality and just kind of, you know, having to, you know, play as that character and going through what he goes through and, and trying to play both sides of, of that conflict and, um, you know, how it all goes down. It's a really, really good story. Uh, and, and the open, um, open world's pretty fun, too. Yeah, that's on my list. Should I just say where it's at on my list? No, no, no. Hold off, hold off. Okay, so well, well, but I'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think the story is 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 really good. I like the fact that also was it Wen Che? I think is it Chen Wen Che? I think Chen is name. Mm-hmm. I, I forget. But I like also that he's also from that area, and so he's undercover, yeah. but he also has this like familiar relationship with people. All, that game all the way to the end was great. Like the 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 spoiler alert for fucking. Uh, for uh, Sleepy Dogs, when you, they find out that you are a cop and they have you kind of strung up and they're about to, they're, they're, um, uh, you know, they're torturing you. That kind of stuff was really well done. Like I, I love uh, that game through and through. It's a really dope game. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I knew it would be on your list, so that's why we let, we'll just you know yeah. get to it when you get to it. If we have, we're probably yeah. going to have some others in common too. So I, I yeah. fully expect that. But yeah, great game. Um, sad to see that it's not going to get a sequel or anything like that. It's a shame. Yeah. but it's uh, it yeah. is what it is. There was one in the works too. Yeah. All right. So what do you got for your number nine? Yeah, you know, Marco kind of alluded to this. When it comes to revisionist history, it's games that either we didn't play or games that we did play, and perhaps either we fought, we feel differently about them. This is kind of that. I, I think uh, nine number nine is Far Cry Three. I, mm. I think when that game came out that year, it, it was probably higher on my list if I if I'm being honest. But you know, with time, uh, I, I really think that Far Cry uh, Three. Uh, it, it it hits a lot, but it also misses a lot, and, and that's and no more than and not much more with 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 its villain with Voss, who is absolutely still to this day one of the best villains of all time, completely underused and used as a as a MacGuffin almost to, to the <laughs> point where it's it's it, 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 it he doesn't even matter by the time the game ends, and, and Bro, it just they takes didn't, they really didn't know what they turn. had, they didn't know what yeah. they had with him. Yeah, I think it's a really weird turn towards the end of the game that really makes this game just not feel uh, cohesive uh, for me. Uh, yeah, you know, and and, it, and it's and it's it takes like a really weird turn there at the end. Uh, but but I have to commend you know this is when Ubisoft Ubisoft gave a shit and they made actually they actually tried with a Far Cry game instead of kind of you know uh, doing uh, an iteration of this game. This game is what every other Far Cry game has been since then, and a lot like Sniper Elite Two, I always find it entertaining enough to where I always come back to the games and I enjoy mo- for the mo- enjoy them for the most part. So Far Cry Three is my number nine. I'm curious to know if it's on your list, but we'll, we'll get there. We get there. Um, it is on my list and it is my number nine as well. Actually. Okay. Uh, there you so, go. so yeah, yeah. Far Cry Three to me, um, to me, it is the epitome of, of. I think it was peak Far Cry in my opinion. Between that um, and also its uh, DLC Blood Dragon, which I loved. Yeah. Lot, some people Blood don't Dragon's like the great. Blood Dragon DLC. I think it's fantastic. I know some people, um, uh, friends of mine, that are in love with that the DLC to this day. Um, yeah. it, it was just really, really good uh, Ubisoft uh, open world evolution for its time. It's a shame that nowadays that formula has become so, um, you know, I guess mundane and or some would argue overused. Um, but I Probably do both. think, uh, yeah, I, I would agree it's a little bit of both. But um, you know, Far Cry Three for me was a was a great mix of of action, discovery, um, you know, captivating villains that that made. Um, that made me genuinely care about what was going on and not just go fart around in an open world, you know? Like, there was always <laughs> yeah. that, that narrative hook to tie me back in. Uh, but to your point, you know, Voss was just not used the way he should have been, and, and it, it, it was a shame, and it definitely took a lot of the wind out of the rest of the experience. So it, had he stuck around longer, I hate to put it all on that character, but if he had been around longer, I think that this game would have been much higher up on my list. Yeah. Because so. it completely changes, it is all on him because it completely changes the narrative. And, and that narrative and that second half uh, after Voss is uh, horrible. It's completely stupid and it, it just doesn't make any sense. Specifically when you look at, what, like you said, what they had with Voss. Yeah. All right. That's my number nine. What do you got for your number eight? My number eight is Hotline Miami. Hey. Um, this is a, a genre that recently has been beat to death just like everyone in hotline miami gets beat to death but <laughs> hotline miami was kind of the first of uh, of its kind incredible just fucking amazing soundtrack and then like the gameplay it was so like rhythmic like it wasn't it wasn't one to one but like you could play it that way like that soundtrack just knew what it was it was like vice miami vice meets quentin tarantino without the n words you know it's like oh. it's just like <laughs> It's it, it just like a uh, oh I remember like 
playing this game, turning all the lights off in in, uh, in my house, and cranking this fucking like music all the way up, obnoxiously mm. so, and just playing this game with. And I'm not even a, a fan of house music or or techno, but the way that this world was built and the way that that music kind of feeds into that, it just it's like it's perfect. I, I think Hollow Miami is is probably should be a little higher on my list, but I I just love. How, how this game just kind of came out of nowhere and even its sequel and other games have been inspired by it who do it to a lesser degree uh, but still this this game is 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 absolutely quintessential and and I, I in terms of these kinds of games and I love and I love Hotline Miami to death that is my yeah number. and you're right about it how influential it's been too with other games we've seen since then um, you know it's, it was one of those like one hit you die kind of games and yeah uh, it, it encourages starting over but it's it's doing it lightning fast so it's not yeah. like a pain to do it all over again you actually kind of enjoy it, taking on yeah. clearing out rooms in that efficient way it's really fun yeah so i and, and, I, th- I think it is a good game and i would say like you know that soundtrack does so much for it because when you look at a game recently uh was it uh ape out yeah ape out where which i like that game quite a bit because it had that jazz uh, soundtrack to it mm-hmm. but if it was if it was something that i didn't like genre wise it might not have hit as much but hotline miami it had both of that kind of like gameplay which was ascent was incredible and that soundtrack it just it just it really was like uh symbiotic those two things it was amazing no doubt, no doubt. What's your All number right. eight? My number eight is Diablo three. Um, yeah, I figured that would be on there. Yeah, it's here, man. Um, you know, I I really, you know, as somebody who liked Diablo two, but you know, admittedly and historically, have always been you know not very much of a PC gamer. Um, it was it was nice to get get a hold of Diablo three. I, I didn't play it when it first came out on PC. I had to wait till it came out on consoles, obviously. So hence sure. a little bit of you know. Revisionist history here, but um, since I got a chance to play it, um, I think it, it it actually got a bad rap for a lot of things. I think it it, it you know its art style got kind of torn apart because it wasn't you know evil looking enough like the like two was, and um, I think it didn't get enough credit uh, as well for a lot of the quality of life improvements that it provided with, when it comes to inventory and uh, managing all the loot that you get in that game, and uh, some really cool levels and and uh, you know really really exciting fights. I I, I just had a really good time with it that was one of my um ironically it's one of my one of my favorite games on switch um actually when I, that's where i played it uh, for the first time so uh it is a it is a super good game that is uh very podcastable when I mean, you're you know listening to other stuff yeah, yeah, and yeah. you're just kind of you know grinding away and that's getting the loot that's the thing man Oh yeah, yeah. It's it, it and it's built around repetition anyway. So you know, you don't have to like overthink anything when you're playing that game uh, at all. Um, so it's just one of those games that you know I, I got into a really good rhythm with, and and I was able to consume other other media while playing it, and I just kind of found myself in a, in a nice stride. Um, and looking back on it now, and kind of where it sat in 2012's uh, pantheon of games, I think it is one of the best. So that's why it's my number eight. Um, what do you have for number seven? My number seven, The Darkness 2. Uh, yeah, The Darkness 2, it continues the bizarre premise of demonic <laughs> forces. And I, got, I, fucking, picked the, I picked it again. I, we have the same pick in the same spot. Yeah. Oh, for real? Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, man, this game is bizarre because it has like this, this premise of demonic forces and the fucking mafia. Like, what are we doing it's here? It's crazy, dude. It, yeah, but like it works. Johnny, it works. Yeah, it works. Johnny Estacado is probably one of the most uh, underrated and maybe least talked about character. Uh, him, along with the, the, the demonic force, that it, it, they have this banter. It kind of reminds yeah. me, in a better way even, I don't know if you've seen the Venom movies. No. 
I've not seen them either, but I've seen the trailers and I see how the way that Tom Hardy and and the and Venom talk to each other. That really kind of feels, and I would be I wouldn't be too surprised if somebody says, "Oh, like kind of inspired by that," because it kind of he even sounds like that. Like I would um, I would imagine it is. I mean, it is a comic book franchise uh, first, yeah. so it probably stands to reason that there was some inspiration. Yeah. One way or the but other, it, I don't know. But yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. But it is it is an absolutely fantastic play. Like, the story starts off with this incredible car accident scene, and then the game pretty much never lets up. It's it's funny because it's almost self-serious when it's, he's talking about his girl and, like, life in the mafia world, but then it's, like, fucking upended by the this, this demonic force, which isn't self-serious. It's actually funny in a lot of uh, ways. Yeah, and, a little bit, and, and just... But also, it... Especially in the second game, I think that you know it was, it was nice and established kind of the dynamic between the the demon yeah. and, and and Johnny and and like the funny part of it, but also like the the scary part of it, like you know yeah, you're yeah. my puppet kind of dialogue and stuff right. like that. Oh it's yeah, a little yeah. creepy. And it yeah. had like these really cool moments of just kind of like you know you're there in this room with somebody, all of a sudden the the demon comes out and you scare the shit out of people, killing them, and then like the, the whole light dynamic where you know you have to be under the light and stuff like that. That kind yeah. of stuff just really. Uh, or blow out the lights, uh, but I, I really, really thought this game was. It's, I feel like it's super underrated because the only other person that I know talks about this game is you, and which yep. is weird because I think this game is awesome. And this game came out at a time where you and I weren't speaking like we like as much, so we yeah. came into it separately. And the fact that you know we're the only two people that I know that talk about this game incessantly is kind of mind-boggling because this game is legitimately fucking good. You know? Yeah, it is, and and that's why I picked it too for this for this spot as well because that's so you know, crazy the, at seven. The first game was it, I think the first game is still my favorite um, because partially because I liked the more realistic art style. The Darkness Two was more cell shaded looking, which was a yeah. weird change. Um, so initially, when I saw that, I was worried that the second game was not going to be anything like the first at all, but. Surprisingly, um, they retained a lot of, uh, well, almost everything that made the first game great. It was just a different art style, literally. So, um, a lot of that really deep, rich lore and the immersion of like just the the scummy city atmosphere was all there and, and just as good. I was happy. I was very happy with it, and I think it definitely lived up to the expectations I had for um, for uh, yeah. you know the sequel. So yeah, that's it's my number two and. Man, I wish uh, I wish that they would uh, bring it back. I, I really do. I think it would. I think yeah. it would actually fare pretty well now. Yeah, at this point, they probably have to reboot it or remake it. Um, but I'm I'm down for any of those things because the premise is so bizarre. It doesn't make sense, <laughs> but it works so good. You know, think yeah. about it. Hey, I would make a game about, about the mafia, the New York mafia. Oh, cool. But one <laughs> of the guys gets possessed by a demon who's like kind of you know is his puppet. Uh, yeah, sure. Let's do that game. Yeah, awesome. You know what the cool thing is too? Uh, if you remember the, the the sound of the of the demon, uh, it's from yeah, the hissing Mike Patton the... from um, yeah. And they said that they were they didn't put any kind of like audio filters on the guy's voice at all. That is literally just straight up raw Ooh, that's voice work, dope. which is nuts yeah, he, when you hear how he sounds. He had a yeah. gravelly and like and then like a hiss to him, and when he yep. talked. He, it's like a snake talking at the same time. Like yep. he fucking nailed that shit. That and shit was with was, no filter. Was, that's that's crazy, ho. That's that's talent, ho. <laughs> it's darkness, ho. Uh, yeah. All right. Since we both had uh, the darkness two at number seven, let's just go ahead and jump right into the next one at number six. So, what do you have for that one? Halo four. Uh oh. This is Halo uh, four at number six. Casualty of time. I look still great in my eyes. 
it was another one of those things that uh, it just it was never gonna reach the heights of the original trilogy. And I think I can be I think with hindsight being twenty twenty, I think that I can be honest my with myself and say, Halo Four is probably besides Halo Five the worst one. Um, you know, I know that I, I think I ranked Halo Four. Um, I think I ranked Halo 4 higher before Halo Infinite came out. But with Halo Infinite coming out and that evoking so much kind of like uh, memories and nostalgia for Halo 1, that I think eventually what happened with me is that I realized that Halo 1 uh, is is actually uh, top tier uh, w- within the franchise. And it, and it kind of just, with being that, I think that Halo 4 just took, t- took that dive. But, I mean... I'm still saying here, it's number six amongst my favorite games of that year, and I feel that it's still a great game. It's just, you know, oh, I think this might have been my game of the year that year, uh, and that looking through this, it, it's it's not the case anymore. If I were if just using this 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 kind of of this exercise for what it is, I think that Halo Four at this point just is my number six favorite game of that mm. year because the other games I have over it, I, I just feel so strongly about these games that I it's really hard for me to to, to put Halo Four over them at any at any point in time. You sicken me, okay. That's all I'm gonna say about <laughs> <You're> that. Thick. <laughs> Um, but uh, I, I see where you're coming from, though. I mean, you know, we, we've we've had a lot of time to kind of gauge what. 343 Industries work on Halo has been like, you know, kind of post-mortem. And yeah, I mean, some people kind of look back on some games more fondly than others. And, and you know, for some people, Halo 4 is like, you know, just kind of an all right game. And, and, and that's not a bad thing or, you know, a great thing, I guess, either. But um, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, but I still think it's great, though, because, I mean... I, I really do something like usually when I look at my top ten list. I these games are like you know, the best games of that year, and then but I still think it's it's really good. It's just it's just not better than the the five games I have on top, and that might be Sickening. controversial for some. Sickening. All right, let's go ahead and see jump my in top five hole. No, no, no. I'm in my number six in that. No, no, because no, so uh, when, when they see my top five, they're gonna be like. Hmm. I already know it's in your top five. I'm I'm already I'm already mad at you, man. I don't even like it. Um, all right. Number six for me, Persona 4 Golden. Um, I, I wasn't sure whether this would count on technicality because it is like kind of like the enhanced version of Persona 4. Um, but, you know, I didn't get a chance to play it because, I'll be quite honest, I wasn't that much into Persona back at the time. Um, I got a chance to play it very recently when it came out on PC. Um, and I tried it out and uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's at number six for me purely because I've seen how Persona has evolved since then with Persona 5 and Persona 5 Royal. And they basically did everything Persona 4 Golden has done, but but exponentially better. And that'll take some some heat from a few people that are really like into Persona 4. It, it, it's, it's like yeah, the big that, battle. That, that... I've heard some people say that four that that four is better than five, but I mean yeah, and, and I wouldn't devalidate what they're saying. I, I, the game is outstandingly good, and I, I think it's more of a case of what cast of characters do you like better than the other, uh, yeah, yeah. little battle system tweaks that one does that the other doesn't do, and just kind of setting related stuff. I thought Persona Four Golden is was really good though. Um, great characters, good storyline, a lot of really cool mystery. Uh, that I that I wasn't expecting. Um, I just felt like the the game was just a little too too heavy with some archetypes for for JRPGs. Um, you know, some that I can deal with, some that I can't. It's the usual kind of you know balancing act with any JRPG. How much can you tolerate of 
of its JRPG-ness. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think 4 had its share, uh, the, you know, a little too much of it, actually, that kind of, you know, is the reason why it's only number six, but still an incredible game. Uh, the rumor is it's, it's going to end up on PS4 or PS5 uh, at some point, you know, this year, potentially. If that is the case, I highly recommend it if you are kind of wanting to get into Persona, uh, you know, world, and or you played 5 and you just want something else to do and you haven't tried 4 yet. Good game, for sure. So, uh, that's my number six. Um, all right, so we are in top five territory now. This is where things get fascinating. Um, and I'm going to kick it over to you. What is your number five? My number five is The Walking Dead. Uh, perhaps the game that probably suffered the most in my rankings because of time. A game that I loved and like impacted me in like so many ways. But ultimately, I think the formula felt... Uh, eventually, with these Telltale games, got really stale... And really what it was is the fact that their actual best game is The Wolf Among Us. And so that that kind of supplanted kind of every, my feelings towards The Walking Dead, which I, I really, really, really enjoyed. But ultimately, wasn't a fan of the ending too much either. And, and uh, But I, I The Walking Dead is, is phenomenal, like, storytelling. Like, it is it is the first of, 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 of the kind of... I mean, they've been doing those games. Like, they had the Back to the Future, the Sam and the, the Sam. What's the other one? Sam and... Oh, boy. I don't remember. Yeah, the you know whatever the same one with the cops, uh, detective cops, and then they have the back to future one. But this was like the one that they really kind of found their stride and really made like this quality game with like incredible story. Uh, but you know, it, with tech, marred with technical issues, sure, which never went away with that engine. But you know, uh, top five game of twenty of twenty twelve. That's that's still pretty good game. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. The technical issues at the time in, in that era were just so annoying because you could feel your console just like. What is this game? It was and it's crazy. Like not even like that demanding of a game. Like no, it's not. It was just it was just poorly optimized, and you know. But you yeah. you had to kind of look past that at the time to appreciate the the narrative, uh, you know, expertise yeah. that was on display there. But you know, I really did enjoy that a lot. Um, cool. My number five is Hotline Miami. Um, this game was like. It was almost like a snuff film, you know what I mean? Like, not to say I've yeah, ever yeah, dabbled yeah. in that or anything, but, you know, like like the Manhunt game from Rockstar, like, back in the day. It was love that same ilk to me. It just was this very, like, murky, murky underground, like, just raw kind of experience. And to your point, the presentation, the color use, the music... Um, the music especially, like you said, is is just one of a kind because it it almost put it it spoke to like the killing trance that that, that character was in. And yep. you almost kinda got into it yourself because it was so droney and dun dun dun. It was rhythmic, you know what yeah. I mean? Like so you would just like and that's how exactly how the music sounded too, if you weren't sure. Um but yeah, I, I, I thought it was outstanding from from start to finish. Um strangely enough, I never played the second one. Um I just as good. I don't know why I never got to it. I think I was just sort of... I always thought that game would be perfect just being a one-off game, and then I think when they announced the sequel, I was like, I don't know if it needed a sequel. Yeah. I think you should play it because what it what it kind of acts like, it almost acts like a super version of the game. The story is different. More, I think the story is a lot better. The level definition in terms of like progressing is a lot better. The music is just as good, and it just kind of has these like kind of technical tweaks. I, I think for me, I think Hotline Miami Two, I think is for me my favorite one. Uh, but you know, really, when you look at them side by side, it's 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 not night and day or anything like that. You know, what is that but one I, called? Is it like um, wrong number? Or? 
Yeah, Hotline Miami 2, uh, wrong number, yep. Or something like that? Okay. No, it's or, called wrong number. It is. It yeah. is wrong number? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. I, I was actually just guessing that. I had no idea. Um, I knew it had something to do with the phone, though. Uh, cool, yeah. cool. So that was my number five. Um, now we are up to number four. So what do you have? Yeah, my number four is Mass Effect 3. Uh, and yeah, the game that Revisionist History has been unkind to, and then recently a little more kind to. I mean, but it's a game with an impossible task. Uh, while Mass Effect 2 is for me a masterpiece, what it left in its wake was always going to be impossible for Mass Effect 3 to replicate in terms like of, of, of what Mass Effect 2 accomplished. But I think what Mass Effect 3 does, it, 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 it improves on the gameplay. Uh, but it really has like these incredible moments with your characters that that you couldn't get obviously without two. But th- kind of having a lot of closure with a lot of like your favorite characters or, or people that you felt close to, and, or seeing how your relationship progressed, that kind of was the main takeaway from from Mass Effect Two. When you look at Mass Effect Two story, you, you end up like, okay, this story is fine, but really the relationships you build and you transfer over that to three. And it's, and I still felt that I still felt like I'm really here with, with, with Jack or, or Miranda, whoever, you know, whoever I, I, I romance and just kind of see his closure with Thane. And it just, it, 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 for me, it was honestly, it, it did everything that it possibly could do. Mass Effect 2, it was an impossible task, literally impossible, infinite amount of possibilities, infinite amount of, of ways, different little nuances here and there with character interaction. There was no way they were going to ever capture that with 3. But ultimately, I think what Mass Effect 3 did is 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 double down on character development and, and how your relationship with with Shepard and those, and those characters really uh, worked. And I think it gave an incredible, beautiful ending to those relationships with ultimately, when you think about Mass Effect the series, it's about the relationships, less about the story. You, you fight a big fucking head in one game, the other one. Like, <laughs> ultimately, you know, it's not like about the story because the story is great, but as corny as this may sound, it was about the journey, you know, because it was really about getting your team, getting teammates, finding Garrus again in two. It, it's it's just one of those moments. Corny. Really. No, I'm just but, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it is. And I think Mass Effect 3 delivers that in, in, in spades. And I think ultimately when you look at everything else on this list, uh, you know, there's very uh, – I'm a person that really – uh, responds to, to, to story, well-written story, like the the narrative aspect of a game, and and really when you look at Mass Effect Three, they do an amazing job when it comes to that. So I I, I love Mass Effect Three. Uh, you know, unfortunately the, the the ending isn't what everybody wanted, but that was always going to be an impossible task. Got you. All right. Um, my number four is Halo Four. Um, so for me. Um, Halo 4 remains a, a, a top-tier game of the year of, of that year for me because of the story between Master Chief and Cortana and the way that that was told in this game. Um, I thought that was the best storytelling that we had seen in Halo up until that point. Um, sure. I felt like that was the truest, best representation of that relationship between those two characters and that really it kind of proved that at least on some level Bungie did not really know how to bring the story home for those two characters as well as 343 did and I don't give 343 a lot of compliments for Halo these days uh, but you know in that case I really really got locked into that story to see how that was going to end 
The sad part is they kind of undermined all of that with Halo 5's story, which just made Cortana a just a total wrong type of character for that game, and they've been kind of course-correcting ever since then. Um, but, you know, that withstanding, I, I do think this game still holds up well. What could have been better to me was the multiplayer. I felt like the multiplayer in 4 was just not up to snuff for um, the series. It was it was really, you know, 343's first stab at doing um, multiplayer for an original Halo, and I just think they missed the mark. I think they were kind of trying to do too many things that modern shooters were doing with loadouts and with, you know, um, these, these different things they tried out. I won't get into too many details here, but... It just wasn't what I hoped it could be for Halo, and I think they really missed the mark in that area. So, I think they it culminated in, in a game that, to me, had an excellent story, uh, good campaign gameplay, but kind of a poor multiplayer uh, component. So, that's why it, it's, it's only sitting at number four for me. Um, but yeah, that's what I got. So, now it's time for top three, and uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. Tell me what you got. My number three is uh, again we talked about Sleeping Dogs. I really love Sleeping Dogs, and I played this game a couple of years ago again around the same time I think you played it, and it still was kind of like damn, like I, I, I it still kind of got me. Uh, I, I I love these kind of hard boiled crime noir type of like I'm a fucking sucker for that shit, and this is all of that, and I I love this game very much, uh, and I hope one day we can see more of it. But yeah, that's my number three. We talked about that already. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, my number three is Mass Effect 3. So um, I don't want to retread a lot of stuff that I said about the the game because I talked about it actually um, back in our uh, Hot Takes segment that we did a few episodes back. So, um, But I will say, you know, just to kind of briefly summarize, I think that game's ending has been unfairly bashed. I think it was better than people gave it credit for. And I just feel like the popular consensus is you're not supposed to like three, um, either as much as the first two or at all. And I just think that's kind of ridiculous. The game was very, very good. Um, And I think that if you look at that game beyond just the last 10 minutes of it, and you really appreciate the way that they treated, um, I would say kind of like the last third of that game as almost the, the epilogue. Um, I think you will see that game in a bit of a different light. And, and I certainly did when we played the Legendary Edition um, that came out. And um, I love it. I think the characters were, were really well done. There were a few duds. I didn't like some of the newer, uh, newer faces in there for sure. But um, the way that they handled returning characters, the send-offs that happened between some of them, um, you know, the way that those relationships were kind of tied up, uh, as best they could anyway, uh, I thought were really well done. And I, I, I felt like the conflict between, you know, um, the, you know, the Reapers and them were, 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 was done pretty well. So I don't, I don't have that same level of vitriol that other people do. I really think this was a great, great um, way to end the, the trilogy. It could have been better, obviously, but any trilogy is going to end with some degree of, you know, what ifs yeah. or, you know, loose ends or something like that. So I, I thought it was excellent. I loved it. But I, 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 even then, that game kind of, it took some time for people to start hating it. Because I remember, I think it's highly rated on, on on Metacritic. I think it came up on a lot of people's like end of, end of year list as well. I think time really, people really started to shit on this game. Mm-hmm. To the point where I, they had that uh, Citadel uh, DLC that had come out, that came out. At, oh, the, at, the DLC at is the great. Oh my God, yeah, it's so yeah. good. But yeah, Mass Effect, that's a, that's perfect. That's a, that's a great, it's a great game. All right. We're down to number two. Yeah, my number two is, yeah, everybody, let's mute Marco here for a second. Disregard him. It's dishonored, all right? 
I want to just I want to mute this mother. <laughs> no, no, Dishonored. I, I, you know, for 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 people who listen to the show or know me personally, I'm a huge immersive sim fan, and I love Dishonored. It takes that immersive sim kind of like genre, and it pairs it down a little bit to less open areas and a little bit more focus and linear storytelling, and it really, really works really well for me. Like it's more of a sandbox immersive sim, and I and I think I I, I when I played this game, I played when it came out. I wasn't sure what I was getting into. Uh, I, I love the story. I, I love the the kind of like the Victorian London Wales cyberpunk shit that they had going on. It it, it and it's just really like a really interesting storytelling and, and and just the way you can approach each. At that time, you have to understand. At that time, that wasn't really happening much. And even today, when it's happening a lot with choose kind of your own way you play, um, I I, I, I still look at Dishonored games as as one of the top tier games in that in in that kind of genre. So. Uh, Dishonored is fantastic. I love it. Um, it is uh, my number two game of that year for sure. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much on record about not liking that series, so I won't, I won't turn it into a whole thing. I just, I played and I beat that 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 first game, um, and I thought it was fine. I thought it was a fine first game. I just felt like uh, some of its mechanics and elements were not the best, and I, I actually didn't really like the. The, the way that endings worked in that game, um, you know, like with the rat plague kind of uh, element to it, it just felt like too much of a punishment for kind of killing. Yeah. It was a little too crude. I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, I, 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 one of the reasons why probably Dishonored it hit with me so well is because I pretty much went through that whole game without killing anybody. I killed a few people, but I barely killed anybody, so I never really saw the consequence. I don't even know about the rat stuff. Like, if you kill too many people, like, the like the city gets... In, in, mm-hmm. Like, I found out later, but really the way I played Dishonored, which is weird because people who know me, I'm pretty much a fucking, like, uh, I just go, go in guns blazing, like... You know, but in this game, for whatever, I just felt it felt good to, to sneak around, and, and I like a lot of the powers with you know, getting around that way with the blink system and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I, I didn't experience that. So that could be that could be one of the reasons why I love Dishonored so much. Because this, I love Dishonored too for complete different reasons. It does a lot what Dishonored does, but you know, it's about level design for me in that game. But yeah, Dishonored okay. two. What's your number two? Uh, my number two is The Walking Dead. Um, so. Oh, so this got this the same number one, I th- well unless you forgot this game happened this that year then I think we should. Um, so I, with The Walking Dead, I I feel like um, even at the time I was in love with the story, in love with the characters, Lee Clementine yeah. and uh, that whole little group of people to me were just really really special um, and and did a great job of of you know creating impactful moments um, when people died in that game. It really hit me pretty hard like not like I got emotional or anything but it was like a shocker that like oh you think oh you think this character has plot armor on them huh all right nope dead dead like even even to the point of faking you out of like having the little thing that says so-and-so will remember that and then two seconds later they're dead you know to kind of bait and switch you a little bit they remember that but it was short-term memory (laughs) oh yeah memories all over the ground now um but yeah yeah it's it's it was one of those games that just kind of you know subverted your expectations in the best way possible and um i didn't really know a lot about the walking dead ip at all that that whole franchise was kind of new to me so that was my first i think it was my first time consuming anything uh from that uh license but i thought they did a terrific job and and 
it, it's so high up on my list now because of, and I hate to get kind of mushy here, but because of my, you know, parenthood since then, raising a daughter myself and thinking back about that Lee and Clementine relationship and the way that he kind of took her under his wing and taught her the ropes on how to defend herself, little tricks of the trade that you would see pay off in the future games when she was growing up yeah. and, and teaching others herself that was, that's, and becoming that like really capable, like one, one man arm, one woman yeah, army kind of thing. That's still so cool. Seeing Super that dope. In, in the walking dead too, kind of seeing how that kind of carries over. And just at the end of that. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's incredible. And, um, you know, her character I think is one of the best that I've ever seen period. So it's just, it was just an amazing way to, uh, introduce that parental dynamic in a really unique fashion. And the way that it ended for, for me was like super bittersweet. I, I actually love the ending. Um, and I think it paved a, a way for, for how the rest of that, that, uh, that series panned out. Um, just terrific game, just a terrific game that, uh, I, I always think about, um, I haven't gone back to it and played it. You know, I, I, I almost don't, I don't want to, to kind of like touch it again and then and like see the blemishes because I want to leave it where it is. But I, I yeah, love episode it. five. Was, was, I didn't like the ending in that. I didn't like the, I didn't like the lead up to that, but the emotional resonance in that ending is pretty like, it's, it's really good. Yeah. 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 No doubt. All right. So, um, we should have the same number one. Um, what Max Payne 3. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Look at you. I, I'm just glad that Dishonored wasn't no, number one. That's all. That, That's yeah, all. No, no, it wasn't. No. Uh, uh, look, talk about it, though. What, 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 look, I, I, I think, it, I think um, maybe when I had this game, when it, first came, when it came out in this year, I played it immediately. I don't know if I had it this high on my list, but I, there's no way it couldn't have been this high on my list. I mean, look, it is. it takes an existing franchise – and it just takes it to another level. I mean, Max Payne is there. All the all the pain is there. The whole character, his past, is all oh, there. Yeah. And 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 you know, with 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 graphics being the way they were with 360, which were better than when what we saw Max Payne one two. You saw kind of the emotionality on him. But then just like the story, and 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 it's weird to have such a compelling story and such top-notch gameplay all like in one because it, it it plays like a dream and that story is awesome again fucking sucker for like noir ass kind of storytelling like you know he's mm-hmm. he's 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 talking to himself you know like self-loathing self- yeah, all the man. time very poetic yeah and it, and it and it works and it works for him because he's like this he's like this you know alcoholic pill popping son of a bitch but he's in his heart of hearts he's like this artistic poetic you know, woe is me kind of guy where, you know, like everything that happens to him is, is has very little to do with him, but more to do with just this city smells and like reeks of, you know, <laughs> all that shit. And it, it's, it smells like death and bad. Yeah. Decisions. It's like it's stuff like, like oh, that. Oh, Max. But the, and it just like, you know, it's in Brazil, but that, that when it comes back to New York, that kind of familiar feeling, even though it's a completely different game, uh. but you know, it's, it's so good, man. They, they really weave in like all these elements to, to paint to Max's past and, and kind of, you know, they almost reboot the series without not rebooting it at all. Almost like God of what God of war did, uh, with, with, uh, with the 2017 game where it was like the, Everything, yeah, sorry, sorry. Everything exists in this world, but this is now the character that we see before us based on the decisions and, and, and the things that had happened to him before. And Max Payne Three is is awesome, which is which is weird because Remedy is is a, is, a, is a studio that we love didn't make this game, uh, and it it almost it, it 
for me, it, that's the change that it needed because, you know, I think with Max Payne 1 and 2, it was a little bit, it was a little tongue-in-cheek. You know, you had someone called Mona Sachs and, and, and all this weird stuff going on with, with Max. What's wrong with no, Mona? Mona's great. I love Mona Sachs. But I'm like, <laughs> the, the names were just like, you know, it, it definitely was a little tongue-in-cheek. And this is kind of takes it to a little more serious, uh, but it still had its humor in it. it. It's just one hell of a game, man. It, I played it again last year, um, and holy shit. Bro, I played it a few yeah. months ago. Yeah, and it is, it is and it's still fucking good. Like, it still hits. Yeah, sure, graphically, it's not, like, the best-looking game, but it's not terrible-looking. It's completely playable. It is on PC. PC version, you know, I never got a chance to play it, but the PC version still, to this day, looks outstanding. Yeah. So they, they did something right there. I, I, I Man, it's, and it's, it's, it holds up and really it's weird, well. I don't, I don't know if we'll ever see it again. Rockstar owns that IP. They did this game, and it's... It was. I, I look based on the way it ended, he, him kind of like riding off into his own version of a sunset. I thought, I don't know. if well, they're no, gonna I, do it. Like if they bring him back again, it's like, man, you just you just hate this. Yeah, guy. but you know, <laughs> poor guy can't be happy. Yeah, ever. but yeah, I think that's true too. But I also think like you know, I'm thinking more of like a reboot or or like a remake, uh, like a remake of Maybe. one yeah. in in the in the three fashion would be like awesome, you know. I would take anything Max yeah. Payne at this point. Yeah, I take it. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you hit a lot of points. Um, I, I just, to, to piggyback off of it, I think that the dialogue between the characterization is so realistic. These characters feel like they are actual people. Yeah. Just the way that they're presented. Um, the way that, that the cinematics seamlessly weave into the gameplay. There's no hard stop there's no like janky like okay this is the gameplay here's the cutscene section it all just runs together in this smooth and they like, do movie like flow really and cool things with like in order to to make that transition with like oh he took too many pills he's drunk and, and it like it, it blends over and it, it yeah. they do it stylistically yep. this game is is music is great too it's it it's it the music is very haunting and it fits in with his character so perfectly uh, the combat is great in this game. Um, I, it's amazing how they were able to take like a, a very old formula by that point. The the uh, bullet yeah. bullet time, you know, that was already kind of like a okay, what else do you got kind of thing. And they still made it fun and and they made it really interesting. Um, and I just I could not put that game down. You know, I'm actually working on um, revising my my top games of all time spreadsheet. And um, I've made a pretty good amount of progress so far. And uh, this game is my number 11 at this point. That's how much I love yeah. this game. It is, it is right. It is a ball here away from being. It could in my be top my top 10, 10 too, if I might. really think about it. I, I really have to sit down and, and kind of reevaluate some games myself. But I, it, I mean, yeah, it's just it's kind of it's weird. It's amazing because uh, how revisionist history works. Period. Where 2012 was a hell of a year. But man, Max Payne. I, I was just gonna ask you, like overall, like the year. Yeah, I think it's think? a hell of yeah. a year, but I think Max, Max Payne Three stands alone. Honestly, I, I don't think any of these games on this list come close to 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 the the kind of like the quality of what Max Payne Three is. But I think twenty twelve, when you look at it, you know, I mean, in saying these games out loud, you know, a Halo game, The Darkness, and you know, Hotline Miami being kind of one of those great games. You got Sleeping Dogs, Dishonored, uh, Max Payne Three, Mass Effect. I mean, it's it's a one hell of a fucking year, really, when you think about it. It, it is an amazing oh, yeah. year for video games, particularly so since twenty eleven was so was so good. If I'm not mistaken, twenty eleven was a huge fucking yeah. year, and twenty twelve, the follow up is. It's pretty good too, you know. It's 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 no it's not twenty twenty one, that's for sure. Mm -mm. Yeah, it's mm -mm. not twenty twenty one. Yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, that is going to do it for our top 10 games of 2012 and 2022. The tradition continues. Uh, so we will probably do this again uh, in 2023 to cover 2013's best games uh, in revisionist history style. Uh, but yeah, yeah, this was a lot of fun. And uh, I think that's going to do it for uh, for this show, man. So um, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate y'all and uh, we'll see you next time. Make me feel good.